Open your Bibles to Zechariah 14 and Exodus chapter 15. Zechariah 14 and Exodus chapter 15. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, help us as we study your word. Lord, I know that often there are many things that are on our minds And that's why we open the service with songs, singing about you and about what you do for us. And uh, the the point of the songs is to to settle our minds on you and your word. Lord, today we have some amazing things to see from your word. So, Father, I pray that we can set aside other thoughts, other agendas, whatever else is going on, and just focus on your word. And, Lord, your word reveals some amazing things about you, the passages that we're going to look at. So, Father, I pray that we'll align ourselves with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather, what does it say right there, those next two words? Against Jerusalem to battle. Now, that all nations, that's such an interesting thing. And we don't know when the Lord is going to return. It could be today. It could be 500 years from now. We don't know. But if he did return, you know, now or over the next few years, is it possible that this is the United Nations? If you look at, and we've done it before, so I'm not going to take the time to do it today. But I believe there have been more UN resolutions against Israel than any other nation. Isn't that interesting? We know that during the First World War, when, you know, you had the Balfour Declaration and then you had Allenby enter into Israel and, and after the, the Sykes-Picot Agreement, when all of the Middle East was divided up, and they had what was called the British Mandate. So uh, France got uh, Lebanon and Syria and England got the, the, the area, that Palestinian area that would include what is called the Palestinian area. Uh, that would include Jerusalem, Israel. But what we find is that controversy began. And immediately people started fighting against the idea of Jewish occupation of Israel. And with the founding of the PLO and Yasser Arafat and all of those things that happened to the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which was really a descendant of the Grand Mufti, the head of, uh, that Egypt had put in charge of, Israel, who had traveled to Germany during World War II and had met with Hitler and said that their desire was the same as his, was to destroy every Jew in the world. All of those things happened. But what most people don't know is that I think starting around 1920 and then again in 1930, there were British white papers. And a white paper is a a kind of a scholarly thing that uh, we would call it something that would come from a think tank today. Much of our foreign policy doesn't come from the president or from uh, government. It comes from these non-governmental think tanks. But then one of them was written by a man named Winston Churchill. And what they did was England, in order to keep peace, had a naval blockade stopping Jews from being able to flee Europe and get to Israel. Many of those are the ones who died in the concentration camps. So when we think of Germany's culpability during the Holocaust, we need to remember England and what they did. So when we think about all of these nations coming against Israel, 
coming against God's people, that's nothing new. And I had thought about going through, I've got, I don't know, 50 uh, dates that we could read and and talk about the world's uh, antagonism toward God's people. But I wanted to study more. I wanted to focus more on the words of God. So make sure that you have a Bible in front of you. If you didn't bring one with you, look under the chairs in front of you. And folks, somebody has to remind me, we need to order new Bibles that you don't need a magnifying glass to read. Somebody, who will remind me of that? Who will help me to remember that? Anybody? All right. But make sure you have a Bible. And I want us to look at this. I want us to start in verse 3. And notice this statement. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight. Now, I enjoy boxing. Not doing it, watching it. And how many of you ever remember seeing Mike Tyson come out of his corner? And you'd watch. It didn't matter how big the guy was on the other side. He melted right there. Nothing had happened yet. And you could see the fear in their eyes. Why? Because you had the baddest man in the world who's also nuts. He said, I'm going I'm to murder you. I'm going to bite your ear off. And man, it was vicious. It was, it was something to behold. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? It was wild. Uh, I saw a clip. I'm boycotting the NBA because of the whole China thing. I just, I'm done. Can't take it. But I saw a highlight. It was on Fox News of LeBron James passing uh, Kobe Bryant for third on the all-time scoring list. And it was a layup. But let me just tell you something. When LeBron James drives the hole to make a layup, that's different than me. I'm thinking, there's no way in the world I'm getting in front of that. You all know what I'm talking about, those of you who watch basketball? It's so interesting. There's just something about it. Man, I like watching, you know, if if it's a war movie and somebody, they're in trouble. And then here come the Black Hawk helicopters and here come our special forces. And I don't know about you guys. I'm just a softie. I get goosebumps when I see that kind of stuff. That is nothing compared to when the Lord goes forth to fight. And, you know, sometimes we can read past these things. But just think about that. There's going to be a time when the Lord goes forth to fight against the enemies of his people. And, of course, they are enemies of his Look at verse 3 again. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. When has God fought for his people before? Now, never exactly like this that we have recorded in Scripture, and we may talk about that some other time. But let's look at how the Lord has fought. Go to Exodus chapter 15. Look at verse 3. Interesting passage. Especially when you consider that this is Old Testament. Exodus chapter 15, look at verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. How about that? The Lord is a man of war. 
And notice that in the context where the Lord is going to fight. Look at verse 14 of, of Exodus chapter 15. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of where? How many of you have never noticed that before? When the Lord comes to... Now, where was the Lord fighting for them in, in the book of Acts? In the Holy Land. He was representing them in the Holy Land. I like Exodus fourteen fourteen. Look at what it says. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Isn't that a good verse? Man, I have claimed that verse so many times when I want to... Oh, oh, defend myself. thing we need to remember is the Lord will fight for you. How many of you believe that? You believe that. So the Bible says that the Lord is a man of war. The Bible says that he will fight for you. And the Bible says that he is going to do this on the inhabitants of Palestina. But go back to Exodus 15 and verse 3. Notice what it says. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a man of war. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And without controversy, now there shouldn't be any controversy. When we read the rest of the verse, you'll see there should be no controversy about this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. There shouldn't be any controversy about that. Amen? Of course, if you have a modern translation of the Bible, it doesn't say God was manifest in the flesh. It says he who was manifest in the flesh. How many of you think God is clearer? Yeah. So notice what it says again. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, God is a man of war, or the Lord. God is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He is a man of war. It is interesting. In order for that scripture to be fulfilled and for him to fight in the area of Palestina, it had to be after his incarnation when God became a man. Wow. Go with me to Revelation chapter 19. Remember what it said in Acts 15.3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 11. It's interesting. There's more about Christ's return in the Old Testament than there is in the book of Revelation. But of course, that's where the book of Revelation gets its information. There are more than 800 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. It's very interesting. So look at verse 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Do you see that? And make war. Look at verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. His name is called the Word of God. So the Lord is a man of war. That's the Bible says in the book of Exodus the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Here it says, and his name is called the Word of God. 
But remember in John 1.14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the, only glory, as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now, go with me to this. Notice what it says in verse 13 again of Revelation 19. And He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. What about this vesture dipped in blood? Go to Isaiah chapter 63. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight. That's what Zechariah 14, 3 says. What about this vesture dipped in blood? Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom? So that's, that's next to Israel. With dyed garments from Basra. This that is glorious in his apparel traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat. I have trodden the wine press alone and of the people there was none with me for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood, look at this, shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment, vesture dipped in blood. For the day of the vengeance, I'm sorry, for the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. Wow. The year of my redeemed is come. And I looked. And there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me. And my fury, it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. Wow. Wow. Why would Jesus do this? You know, sometimes when people read about the judgment of God, when Christopher Hitchens, the noted atheist, uh, wrote about the Old Testament, he just called God a, a despot, just this hateful murderer, this psychopath. That's the way that they described God. Why would God do this? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. You know, often that question comes from just honestly, now Hitchens wasn't well-meaning, but honestly, well-meaning people who are kind and can't imagine that kind of judgment. These are people that probably don't discipline their children. These are people that reject any kind of authority around them. And they can't understand judgment. They can't understand righteous judgment. But notice what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Now look at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now remember, his being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, that's not the rapture. No one sees Christ at the rapture except those who are raptured. Man, I can't wait to see him. This is when Jesus Christ returns with his holy angels in vengeance, look at what it says in verse 8. 
in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it does matter what you believe. It does matter what you believe. That's a great place for an amen. It does matter what you believe. I think that's the, uh, that for, I don't know if it still is, but for years that was the logo at Salina Baptist Temple. It makes a difference what you believe. It really does. It matters. And if someone has a different gospel, we've got to fight against that. We can't say, oh, they're nice people. They're, it's okay. Can't we all just get along? No. This is what's coming to people who believe that false gospel. What are we supposed to do? If I knew that Jeffrey, I did it. If I knew that Jeffrey was about to drink poison, and I, I said, well, teach his own. Whatever. I love you. How's it taste? How many of you think that would be irresponsible of me? Remember what the Bible says, fear not him who can destroy your body. But fear him that can destroy the body and soul in hell. Now we live in a soft time. The ecumenical age has just destroyed any idea of standing up for the truth. I'm just telling you, the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and confession of sin, repentance, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who doesn't believe in that, they're wrong, and we're going to mark them and avoid them. Amen? So important. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Remember, those who reject the gospel now will not have the opportunity to receive Christ after the rapture. Because, look at verse 11, verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Look at that they, what's that next word? Everyone, what's that word? All might be, what's that word? Who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Folks, it matters what you believe. It also matters what you don't believe. See, that's why it's so important that we be a gospel-preaching church that gets our authority not from a man, but from the Word of God. So important that we see this. Go with me to Luke chapter 19. Why is Jesus going to fight? Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad he did that? And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants 
and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens, what are those next two words? Hated him and sent a message after him saying, Look, we will not have this man to reign over us. You understand that's what Israel said to Jesus. We will not have this man to reign over us. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Do you know what finally is going to happen for the people? So if you remember, they wanted a king. They wanted to be like other nations. Yeah, this is so good. Oh, I love this. Israel was special. How many of you recognize that? But they wanted to be like other nations. Oh, think about this with your kids. Well, Johnny's mother lets him do it. Why can't I be like other kids? You ever heard that? Your parents? How many of your parents have heard that? The best answer is because Johnny's mother is stupid. No, don't say that to your kids. Okay. That might cause you trouble at the next class event. What's the answer? Because you're not like them. You're special. You're a child of God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You're not yours. Why can't we be like other people? Why can't our, man, I've had so many times. Hey, our church used to. Why can't our church do? Why can't our church do this? Ah, because we're not like them. Or sometimes, because I don't have time to do it. If you want to do it, go for it. It's amazing how many jobs people have for me. (laughs) But when it comes to things that are just wrong, that God has precluded, well, then why can't we do that? Because we're not like them. We're different. Israel wanted a king. Why didn't God want them to have a king? Because there was only supposed to be one king. And that's Jesus. I will say this. Be careful what you pray for. Because sometimes God will let you have it. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. That we also, look at this, maybe, what's that next word? Like all the nations. What happens to all the nations? Then will the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. How many think it would have been better if they were never like those nations? But notice what they prayed. That we, verse verse 20 again, that we also may be like all nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us fight our battles. 
You understand that's what Jesus wanted to be for them all along? You understand that's what Jesus is going to be? He's going to be their judge. But then he's going to go out and fight for them. Isn't that awesome? He's going to go out and fight for them. But what about us? Go to Romans chapter 8. How many of you would not want to be on the other side when the Lord goes forth to fight? Romans 8, man, I'm so thankful that we are a special chosen people. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? Let's all read this out loud together. If God be for us, who can be against us? Man, sometimes you feel alone. Sometimes you feel like nobody understands what you're going through. Sometimes you feel like it's too hard to stand for the Lord. When your family rejects you, when you have trouble in your home, when you have other issues because you're trying to be biblical, or when life just doesn't seem to align with what you thought it would be, understand, if God be for us, who can be against us? Why don't we read on in this chapter? Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son... That's the one who's coming to fight. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How freely shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now, remember, that's Jesus. See, the reason we can be sure of our salvation is because nothing, no charge, no righteous charge could be brought against Jesus Christ. And that's given to us in Isaiah 42.1. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Nope, we're not going to be there. Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? or nakedness, or peril, or sword, you need to understand, I'm not going to, let's do it. Hold your place right here. Revelation chapter 6. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Certainly not tribulation. All right, so you have these four horsemen. And the first one, look at verse 4. Middle of the verse, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a what? A great sword, a great sword. When you look at uh, the end of verse six, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. What's that talking about? Matthew 20 verse two says that a penny is a day's wage. So you work for an entire day and there's not, you won't be able to earn enough to buy enough food to feed yourself, let alone your whole family. That's famine. So you have sword and famine. Look at verse 8. And I looked and beheld a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part to kill with sword and with hunger. There's the famine again. And with death, that's plagues and pestilence. And with the beasts of the earth, the animals. Now go back to Romans chapter 8. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Nope. 
You are distressed? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 36, as it is written, for my sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, if God be for us, who can stand against us? Then shall the Lord go forth and fight as when he fought in the day of battle. How many of you don't want God to fight against you? Well, then get him for you. How do you get him for you? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. And then as you live, as hard as it is, I'm not going to make light of anyone's trouble. Man, when you're in the trouble, it can become overwhelming. Man, lift up your eyes. Look to the Lord. He's for you. He will help you. He loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. It's such a powerful, powerful thing to run through the Bible and see what it means for you to fight for us.